This morning we're reading in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Several years ago, some friends of ours gave us the gift of a free week in their condo in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Our children were still in elementary school, so we waited till summer and then took a family vacation for a week in Santa Fe. You know, they have wonderful art museums and lots of jewelry shops and art shows, and it was all terrific. But when your children are this size, that gets old pretty quick. So we began looking for something more exciting to do. We found that they have hot air balloon rides out there. So we looked through the yellow pages. I had to stop here at the early service and tell the chapel choir, the youth, what the yellow pages were. They were bewildered, but we caught them right up. So I'm looking in the yellow pages, and I find an ad that sounds really good. It says, experienced pilot, excellent safety record, basket big enough for a family of four to ride in. So I decide I'll call them up and chat with them. I call the fellow. He's very warm and friendly. He introduces me and tells me his formal name, but he says, you can call me Johnny, or if you want, really, most of my friends call me Wild Johnny. I thought that was nice of him to tell me. I wasn't sure I wanted him to be my pilot. But while Johnny went ahead to tell us all the wonderful things that he offered, including what the price was, I about choked. It was very expensive. But I'd already told the kids, we're going to do this. So I took a deep breath and said, okay, go ahead on. And he was telling us. And he said, in fact, we come and pick you up right at your door. And I said, that sounds marvelous. What time would that be? He says, 5 a.m. I say, we're on vacation. I like to sleep in vacation. I like to sleep in. He says, oh, 5 a.m., the best time to go is early in the morning. You don't want to miss it. The best winds, the clearest skies. So I gulp again and say, okay, we'll see you at 5 But when I'm going to bed that night, I have this unsettled feeling in my stomach. Should I trust this guy? Can I trust this guy with my family? 
Well, we're up and ready to go. It's still dark, but sure enough, Wild Johnny shows up in his super cab pickup with a basket in the back ready to go. We all pile in. We drive for nearly an hour out into the desert. We're on the highway the whole time until he turns off the highway and he starts going up a dirt, dusty, dirty mountain road. And I think this is it. This is the end. I can see the headline, pastor and family disappear without a trace. I'm thinking, why did I trust this guy? But sure enough, just about a mile up the road, there's another truck, just like he told us there would be. It's the chase crew. They have the balloon in the back of the truck. We all pile out. He gets the balloon. He says, come on. Did I forget to tell you? You get to be part of the crew on this operation. So we lift this huge balloon that's folded up out of the back of the truck. We all carry it over and begin to unfold it and lay it out. And then they begin to fill it up. And as the balloon begins to come alive, while Johnny comes over and says, Now there's going to come a moment where this is going to lift off the ground. And when I yell, Now... You and your wife should jump in and then have your kids follow us. I'll be in there, but you all come on with me. And all of a sudden, I realize there's no ropes tying this thing to the ground. There's no safety wires here. This is just going to lift up into the air, and we've got to get in. When I said, okay, so it's beautiful as it fills up. But then, sure enough, Johnny yells, now, and he's already in, and then my wife and I climb in, and Hope, our youngest, clambers in, and we're lifting off the ground, and Grace is just standing there. <laughs> and while Johnny says, come on, and we reach over and grab her by the arms, and literally, as we lift off the ground, she's outside the basket, and we're reeling her in. And I'm thinking, why did I trust this guy? What is going on here? What have I got us into? But before you get very high, it gets really quiet and so very peaceful. All sounds from the earth go away. And the views are spectacular and panoramic. And you see the beauty of God's creation in a way that you would never see otherwise. And Johnny actually is a, a very capable pilot, very accomplished, very calm, tells us what's going to happen, how it's going to work out. He really is great, but there's a part of me that's still wondering if we should be here because the sides of that basket that I thought would be about this high are really about this high, and my mind keeps saying, you could fall out of here. Your child could fall out of here at any moment. I mean, it's really stimulating that part of my mind that weighs risk against reward. But we don't fall out. We have a wonderful trip. We're up there for about two hours. Everybody's calmed down and just having a great time. He let the kids help pilot the balloon and pull the handle that shoots the fire up. I mean, it was terrific. And then he says, now, we're about ready to land. But here's the thing. When the winds are this good, it blows you past your landing spot. And we already passed the flat space where we usually land. So see those sage brushes down there? We're going to land right over there. What we're going to do is descend until the bottom of the basket's hitting the top of the bushes. That'll help slow us down. I begin to laugh nervously like, he's got to be kidding, right? <laughs> but he goes right on and says, we're going to hit all the top of those bushes, and then we're going to hit the ground a couple of times. And when I yell, jump, you four jump out. Because <laughs> the winds are this good, they're going to keep pulling the basket. You don't want to be in it once it pitches over. 
And sure enough, we descend further and further until you hit the baskets hitting the trees. It's hitting the sagebrush. It hits the ground. We bounce a couple of times. It pitches over. He yells now, and we all tumble out laughing and shrieking. We're back on the ground safe. <laughs> We've made it. It's a wonderful trip. <laughs> but all during it, there were those opportunities for fear. You know, to clamor up inside of you, to take over, to become the deciding factor. I could have let fear be the deciding factor, but if I had done that, I would have never experienced the trip. It really was fabulous, and it was definitely exciting and exhilarating. It's a memory we'll always have together as a family, but we had to decide if we were going to let fear be the decision-maker or if we were going to trust this guy. Our text raises that same question for us today. Do we trust the pilot? For those of us who say we're going to follow Jesus, we have to decide over and over, do we trust him? Do I trust him to lead me? Oh, we all have to make that decision of faith and step forward at some point and say we want to be a follower of his but I've found in my life it's not just once, it's over and over that he calls me out of my comfort zone and I have to decide again and again, do I trust him? Will I follow him? Am I going to go where he leads? Is he trustworthy? Do I trust this pilot? I mean, when he says, it's going to cost more than you think, you're going to have to start earlier than you thought, you're going to have to do more work than you anticipated, you have to be ready to jump when I say jump. It's going to get bumpy along the way, but it's going to be all right in the end. Do I trust him? Will I trust him? Will I continue to follow? We have to decide. The disciples have to decide in this text we read today in verse 22, right? This is a story right after the feeding of the 5,000. It was wonderful. It was great. They're all amazed. But then Jesus puts them in the boat and pushes them out and says, go on out, I'm staying here. Will they trust him? Then they get caught in a storm. They see him walking out toward them. They're afraid. He calls to them, speaks to them. Will they trust him then? Peter says, I need a little more, Lord. And he says, come. Will Peter trust him then? Will you trust him Fear has a way of threatening to take over. You can see it throughout this passage. What we have to do is decide whether he's trustworthy, whether we will trust him. Will it be fear or faith? Will it be paralysis or action? How will we lead our lives? How will we live as followers of Christ? Will we trust him is a question we all must grapple with. I particularly want us to think about that in terms of gifts that we have. United Methodists say that all of us have received gifts. Oh, all the gifts are not the same, but all of us have been given gifts. Paul writes about this to the early Christians at Corinth. He says everyone is given a gift. He calls it a manifestation of the Spirit, that we're all given gifts to be used for the common good. Do you realize God has given you gifts to use for the common good, for the good of others? 
are you using your gifts when you come forward to join boston avenue church or for that matter any united methodist church the pastor is going to ask you are you ready to participate here fully through your prayers your presence your gifts your service and your witness are you ready to let christ lead you in all those different areas of your life are you willing to risk your gifts god gives everyone gifts in life that's what we believe as united methodists you've been given gifts but in our membership and commitment vows we're asked to use them to risk them as god would lead us in christ so that god might work through us to build the kingdom to spread his love to spread the gospel to others are you willing oh it's a risk to get out of the boat is a risk to follow christ is a risk to share your gifts when called by god is a risk but as united methodists we say prayers and presence prepare us to take the next step as god calls us to risk sharing our gifts john ortberg is a pastor he's an author of quite a few books He's written one on this very passage. The title is, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. He talks about his own family experience quite a bit in the book. He says, we're Swedes. We're a cautious lot. We don't take many risks. He gives a couple of illustrations. He says, I have a couple of great aunts. They lived in a house that's been in my family. My great-grandfather built it. It was wonderful. It was a beautiful Victorian home. The centerpiece of the house was the parlor. It was beautiful. We saved it for special occasions. They always said, it's safe for a special guest. But he said, you know what? In my lifetime, there's never been a guest that special come by. And so we never used the parlor. It's the most beautiful room in the house, but we don't use it. He gives another illustration. He said this came to light when his grandmother died. As they were moving some of her things, they found this big box in the attic. When they uncovered it, they found this exquisite set of china, inlaid pearl, beautifully painted. Nobody could remember seeing it before. John says, my wife had been in the family 20 years, and she said, where did this come from? Well, I've never seen this. He said, I grew up here. I've never seen it. They began to ask around. Some of the older relatives told them what had happened. They said, oh, this is a gift your mother received when she was a young woman. Her parents began to give her a piece at a time. It was very expensive. We were not wealthy people. But for graduation, for confirmation, for birthdays, they would give her a piece. Oh, she loved it. She would admire it for a few moments. But then they said she would wrap it in tissue paper and place it in the box. Finally, she had a complete set. She was going to save it for a special occasion, for that special time, that, that one moment that would be just right to use it. But he said, I guess that moment never came. And my grandmother went to her grave, never having opened the most precious gift she'd be given in her lifetime. He said, there's nothing like the tragedy of the unopened gift. He says, now all of us receive gifts in our life 
spiritual and tangible, we have to decide how we're going to use them. He says there's two ways that people can respond when they receive gifts. I've put them in your outline. He says the first way how some people respond is to say, this gift is so valuable, it can't be risked. The gift is left in the box because you know if you use it, you might break it. He says, oh yeah, it's a risk. But he said the second way that you can respond is to say this gift is so valuable, it must be risk. You must take it out of the box and use it. That God has offered it to you and if you don't use it, you thwart the very purposes of God. So think about yourself when there's an opportunity here to serve at the church. Do you think, oh, yes, another opportunity. I want to do that. Or do you think, oh, no, I hope somebody else does that. When we remind you that Christ calls all of us to use our financial resources generously, do you think, oh, yes, I'm a tither. I hope I can give more. I hope I can help. Or do you think, what's the minimum I could give or some think oh I know the fella down the row I think he has more than me I hope he takes care of that how are you using your gifts if God has given all of us gifts it's important for us to think about how are we using them are we using them the way Christ would lead us are we willing to even take a risk even if we feel the prompting of God or are we keeping the gift in the box? And our story today from Matthew over and over, Matthew tells us the disciples are frightened, they are terrified, fear threatens to take over, but Jesus comes to them. Jesus offers them the greatest gift 